in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. At 106, good afternoon. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, which is petro.com. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Whether it's lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge, a delicious meal, and especially a nice day like today, you could sit out on the nice new deck they have. Very, very popular. People like sitting out outside. I like sitting outside in the, especially, uh, you know, this time of year. It's a limited time of year around here that you can sit outside. Now, if you want to sit inside, that's fine. But a great meal and a great crowd, folks. They're waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. They are uh, truly a tradition. Stop in and see them at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. All right. I want to go with um, some of the sound. Now, I also just want to address, someone just sent me a thing. Do you really think the DNC is going to allow Fung to win that congressional seat? Well, the DNC has nothing to do with our elections. Um, at some point, some of the people that spread this stuff, some of the people that spread this stuff, you, you have to be accountable for some of the predictions and things you say, such as, I'll give you a great example. Now, today, all day, happens to be Tuesday, June 28th. <clears throat> Where are the people that were saying, watch Kamala Harris will be president by Memorial Day. She, you know, you know, this is what I was told in the beginning part of 21. You know that he, he's just doing that to get her in there and then he's going to step aside. I said, I, that's not happening. You, you completely don't understand that once people have power, they don't want to give up the power. So I explained that that's, that's not happening. And what happened? Last year, Memorial Day came and went and Biden was president. Then they said, you watch by Labor Day. Biden's out of there. Harris is president. I said, that's you're wrong. That's never happening. You don't that. Why would they give up when you're president? You know how many people you give a job to? And then when, in fact, if Harris would have become the president, Kamala Harris, all those people lose jobs and then her people, they get new jobs. None of that. Labor Day came and went. Who's president? Biden. You watch by the end of the year, Kamala Harris. But how how long does this go on? Is it possible some people have no idea how it works? How much does Biden? You you don't understand the people that are with him. Many have been with him since his days in the Senate. Then they're with him when, in fact, he became vice president. They got to work for him. As vice president by eight years with all the government benefits, why would they want to give that up? Well, because they're told to, well, they're not giving it up. Okay, so find a new argument. There's a story in the New York Times, Biden still is going to run in 2024, despite the fact that the people in the party don't want him to run in 2024. So this whole argument, so let me come back to, I get an email. Do you really think the DNC is going to let, does it seem to you the DNC controls all 
congressional races? Do you realize they're going to lose the House? Do you realize that the Republicans are five seats away from taking back the House? And they're going to... They, could, they may get, it's not five, they may pick up 25. So I'll use that argument. Do you really think the DNC is going to let Fung or Republican win that seat? Well, if they had the power that some of you maintain they have, why wouldn't they be using that everywhere unless they don't have the power? The whole reason why, as I've been explaining, why Mayor Fung right now in this poll could win that Langevin seat because of the area that makes up the district where Fung was smart. Remember, with politics, it's all about picking the right race. Where Mayor Fung, where Mayor Fung made a smart decision was he was going to announce for general treasurer. And instead, he pivoted for the congressional seat. And the reason that's wise because you don't have to, it's CD2, as they call it, right? CD1 is Cicilline. CD2 has has part of Providence, but it's a small part of Providence. I think it's only about, you know, potentially like 30,000 people. I think it's around there. Whereas if you run statewide, You have to, you know, now you're competing with all of Providence, Central Falls, Pawtucket. Folks, let me explain it to you this way at 111. And I recognize not a lot of people realize this. I I was chatting with someone running for office. They had no idea what I was talking about. I saw them Saturday night. They asked me, what do you think my chances are in the race? I said, and this is a Democrat, by the way. I said, you you realize you're going to get clobbered in Providence. And they said, oh, they dismissively said, oh, you mean like the mail ballot stuff? Mail ballot stuff. You watch how much ballot harvesting they do. Some people know how the game is played. Some people don't. Why this is a good race for Mayor Fung is he has the possibility to win Cranston, Warwick. That's a huge advantage. Fung will probably lose Providence to Seth Magaziner, but there's not enough votes to pull out of Providence to put Magaziner over the top. Fung would, could win Johnston. Fung could win and probably will win West Warwick. Fung will probably win Coventry. Those are big areas in that CD2 race. He has a chance to win Narragansett. He does have a chance to win Narragansett. Magaziner also has to continue through a brutal primary. So do I think the DNC would allow? They don't have control over that. You're making them out to be more powerful than they actually are. So, and I'm going to point to, listen, if the DNC was as powerful as some people make them out to be, do you really think that they would be standing by and allowing and watching as the Republicans are about to completely clean house, this would be monumental. Now, there are people listening right now, and I know what you're saying. They're saying, oh, Fung's not conservative enough for me. You have to have a choice to make. And it's not right now. Fung has a primary with Bob Lance here. Um, In the fall, voters will have a, will have a choice. You're either going to vote to put Seth Magaziner going to Congress, should he win the primary, there's a chance he may not win that primary. Um, but right now, someone would have to make a major move to really take his legs out. He's going to be damaged. Magaziner is going to be damaged. 
And the media will be, yes, that's fair to say, the media is going to be against former Cranston Mayor Alan Fung. Yeah, I believe that. Um, but he has experience. Mayor Fung, where he, he knows what it's like to win, and he knows what it's like to lose. Um, I want to, I am watching, they do have an interesting person that's testifying in front of this January 6th committee. Um, Cassidy Hutchinson will relate certain firsthand observation of President Trump's conduct on January 6th. They are just not going to stop trying to go after President Trump without question. The surprise witness is a former top advisor to Mark Meadows. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll see what what she says. I mean, so far, it's been a dud. So far, no one is paying attention to the hearings. So far, I, I repeat, people are far more concerned about the cost of groceries. People are concerned about the price of gas. That's what people are focused on. They are not focused on trespassing day. And that is also something, by the way, that the Democrat Party, they just, they can't comprehend it. They still don't understand. How come more people aren't upset about January 6th? I get asked that sometimes. Um, I don't know how else to explain because everyone watched what happened the summer of 2020. So after you watched the riots and what happened the summer of 2020 as they burned and destroyed major cities as they were rioting and looting and setting fires and destroying police stations and police cars and then people are supposed to be upset because some people were taking pictures and trespassing inside the Capitol with their flags. We're supposed to be upset about that. People are not upset about that. People are not upset about that. All right, I want to um, play this this business of uh, with what happened. Terrible with the, the people that, the migrants that were found. This is a, a Today Show piece. I want to play this. For help from the inside a semi-truck trailer. When it was opened, the unthinkable discovered. 46 migrants dead amid 100-degree temperatures. There were some survivors, and now more than a dozen others are hospitalized this morning. San Antonio's mayor was emotional overnight, talking about the scene. Tonight we are dealing with a horrific human tragedy, so I would urge you all to think compassionately and pray for the deceased, the ailing, the families. An astonishing human story there. NBC's Morgan Chesky joins us from that scene. Morgan, what's the latest? Savannah officials are calling this one of the worst mass casualty incidents in this area in recent history. And this remote road is where this massive investigation is now playing out. That semi-truck where those individuals were found, about 100 yards behind me. And that is where this grim discovery was made late yesterday. 46 bodies inside that trailer. Some Savannah, hot to the touch. And this morning we know there are 16 others fighting to survive in area hospitals, including four children. 
A sweltering summer day in Texas, with the temperatures topping 100 degrees, contributing to one of the country's deadliest human smuggling cases in recent history. Quite a few of them are already deceased. The tragedy unfolding Monday in a rural part of San Antonio. 46 people found dead in the back of this stifling truck. The first call's coming in just before 6 p.m. The truck driver is running southbound on foot on, along the railroad tracks. Police say a local worker made the terrible discovery after hearing cries for help. Authorities found the abandoned semi-truck with its doors partially opened. We're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there. Officials say the likely cause of death, heat stroke. Incredibly, 16 others survived, including several children. But they were in an extremely weakened state when they were taken to area hospitals. The patients that we saw were hot to the touch. Uh. They were suffering uh, from heat stroke, heat exhaustion, uh, no signs of water in the vehicle. It was a refrigerated tractor trailer, but there was no uh, visible working AC unit on that rig. This horrific scene echoing a similar tragedy in San Antonio, where 10 people died crammed inside a tractor trailer back in 2017. This year has already seen record numbers of border encounters in the southwest, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Texas Governor Greg Abbott tweeting, quote, these deaths are on Biden. They are a result of his deadly open border policies. Wow. San Antonio's mayor with a different perspective. There are, um, that we know of, 46 individuals uh, who are no longer with us, who had families, um, who were likely trying to find uh, a better life. This morning, while the White House has yet to make an official statement, they have referred to the statement made by DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who placed the blame for this squarely on top of these smugglers and said a federal investigation is ongoing. Savannah? And, and Morgan, has there been any word on potential suspects? We have heard from authorities who say they have three individuals in custody, but at this time they are not saying whether or not they are directly tied to this smuggling plot. In the meantime, this crime scene remains absolutely expansive across this remote area. We're told that they're going to have canine units out here today making sure that absolutely everyone who was on board or near that truck, Savannah, has been accounted for. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, unimaginable unimaginable that that's the failed biden policies that is the failed biden policies period that's what's going on folks how about what's going on with the airlines good luck traveling right now thank god i'm not getting in a plane anytime soon our nation's airports and take a look already just this morning nearly 900 flights delayed or canceled, a number that's only expected to grow. NBC's Amelia Cada is here with more, but she's also got some good advice for travelers this morning. Hey, Emily. Good morning to you all. I wish I could say there was a way to guarantee a trip without any hiccups, but there are at least some steps you can take to help reduce the risk of travel chaos. Experts say the key to avoiding airport Armageddon is being proactive in preparing for last-minute changes and responding to them as new analysis predicts some 13 million Americans will take to the skies this holiday. It's the final countdown to Independence Day, but flying to your destination may require infuriating dependence on airlines riddled with problems. According to travel app Hopper, more than one quarter of U.S. flights are now being delayed, half of them for an hour or more. Um, our flights canceled, and as you can see, lines are pretty long. 
figure out how to rebook. Um, and there's no one really kind of assisting and trying to help us figure out how to get home. Chicago Midway, Baltimore, and Newark, among the country's most disruption-plagued airports, where a perfect storm of staffing shortages, bad weather, and soaring demand has some passengers rethinking their plans. Is there anything you would do differently for your next trip? Not go. I'm not making any more plans for travel. Wow. This is it. U.S. airports just saw their busiest travel day so far this year. Nearly two and a half million passengers on Sunday. A record anticipated to be broken this holiday weekend. So how can travelers best avoid airport Armageddon? Experts say, first, try to travel on off-peak days. AAA says Friday, July easy. 1st, will be the busiest day at airports. Wow. The least congested days, Saturday the 2nd and Monday the 4th. Next, sign up for your airline's free text alerts and download their app for the fastest flight notifications. When packing, remember, less is more. Try to avoid checking luggage to miss the long lines at check-in and baggage claim. Still, be prepared for last-minute cancellations. If you need to rebook, try the airline's international call center. Even if you're on a domestic flight, they can still help, and wait times can be shorter. For travelers who haven't booked yet, consider adding a flight disruption protection product that allows you to rebook yourself immediately on the next available flight, regardless of the airline. If you get stuck and can't fly out until the next day, ask the airline to put you up in a hotel, though they're not required by law to do so. And the best advice, remember to be nice. Can your attitude towards the customer service reps impact the outcome? I would say that a positive attitude is probably only going to get you further. Keeping the skies friendly, even when the process is turbulent. Some good advice for life there. Uh, oh. Family, here's the thing. This happened to me last week. Your flight gets canceled. Why is it so hard to book another flight these days? What's happening on, on, on that front? Yeah, that's a great question. That's because the flights are already packed. Airlines have trimmed their schedules as they contend with staffing shortages, making flights more competitive. American announcing last week it's stopping service to four cities. But if you do find yourself having trouble rebooking a flight, one other tip to take into account, reaching out to the airline on Twitter or other social media platforms, especially if other customer service lines are busy. And we know a lot of people are. But if you do that, you should also be nice. When you reach out Absolutely, to that's the key here. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Emily. Now to the major issue on the minds now, of folks, again, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I still can't get over that that migrant story. Those poor people. My God. But this is also a result of the the failed policy of the Biden. You know, when you have an open border, you're enticing these people to come over. This is what happens. Let me just play, folks. This is good afternoon at 124. This is the uh, Channel 12 story in the Newport situation. Between Newport police and people on the streets of the city. You've likely seen the video circulating on social media. 12 News reporter Chelsea Jones spoke to the lawyers of the two men arrested. It's all new tonight. Both lawyers tell me there is still a lot to be figured out, but they say their clients are facing some charges and both will be arraigned next Wednesday. Picture this. The time is roughly 1.20 Sunday morning in the streets of Newport. In a video we reviewed with a lawyer, you can see one young man pinned to a...
trolley by what appears to be Newport police officers. You then see one man thrown to the ground and another slapped in the face. Well, that's what a lot of people are talking about. Newport police confirmed the chief is aware of this incident and say they are thoroughly investigating. Two people were arrested that night. Attorney Christopher Malay tells us one of them is his client. My client was, was being placed into custody. He's not sure what for. Uh, he wasn't told that until after the fact. But it's everything that's happening amidst this, Malay says, is downright horrible. At some point, and you've seen the video, something went awry. Um, two other individuals were clearly assaulted by a member of the Newport, or what appears to be a member of the Newport Police Department. His client was charged with disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, and obstruction of a police officer. I spoke to the attorney representing the other person arrested in this case. He gives me this statement that reads, the video speaks for itself. At this time, we have no comment. My client did nothing wrong. His client was charged with obstruction and resisting arrest. Both clients will be in court July 6th. I've reached out to Newport Police asking the status of employment of the officers involved. I've not yet heard back, so it's unclear if anyone has been placed on leave, but police have said they are investigating. In the control room, I'm Chelsea Jones, 12 News. You know, I don't know what, what to make of that. Let's wait wait and see what happens with the, the, uh, the Newport police. Um, I want to play this again also, the investigation. You know, they say it continues... Uh, into what happened Friday night, but I don't hear anything about the situation with the man in green that threw the first punch and started the whole thing. So we certainly want to hear about want to hear about that. Let me hear. This is uh, the latest on the Officer Lugo situation. That's just unacceptable. New reaction from Governor Dan McKee today in response to an alleged assault at the State House during a rally Friday. A Providence police officer who was off duty at the time is accused of assaulting a woman who is also his Democratic opponent for a state Senate seat out of Warwick. This story quickly gaining national attention. The officer, John Lugo, was off duty at the time, like we mentioned, but Providence police tell us he's currently on paid administrative leave. New tonight, we are hearing from Lugo's attorney now for the first time. 12 News reporter Alex. Alexandra Leslie joining us from Providence now with what we know about this developing story. Alex. Lugo's lawyer sent a statement to reporters saying that his office is still trying to identify and speak with witnesses, but that there is far more to what occurred than what's being reported. An incident caught on camera has left Providence police officer John Lugo's job in question. If what we're being told proves out to be true, uh, he should be severely uh, uh, disciplined, and um, I would say the man should uh, be um, should lose his job. Video captured by radio and podcast host Bill Bartholomew of shows WPRO. a man who appears to be Lugo punching Rhode Island's political cooperative co-founder Jennifer Rourke. She also happens to be one of Lugo's Democratic opponents for a state senate seat in Warwick. If that's true, you should in this day and age to actually potentially have uh, struck a woman in public not only just uh, the confrontation being in the at the people's house that that's just unacceptable lugo's newly obtained lawyer daniel griffin sent a statement on behalf of his client he says there is more to the story and that his office is trying to identify witnesses and analyze other video taken friday night he adds in part he trusts the process and believes that the actual facts will exonerate him the alleged victim in this case jennifer Rourke, told officers she was trying to keep the peace at the rally when she was struck in the head twice and then punched by lugo she told 12 news she's disappointed lugo resorted to violence it was a beautiful evening up until that point 
Lugo posted online that he is no longer seeking any political office this fall. He's due back in court in two weeks. In Providence, Alexandra Leslie, 12 News. All right, all right. So that is, um, folks, the latest with, with that. And we have a lot more. He was injured in it. Um, there's more footage that shows that Officer Lugo was actually body slammed. A lot more is, in fact, it's on the website petro.com where we have that right now the time is 129 this portion of the john DePetro show folks it's brought to you by it's my health because it's your health pop in and see them it's marie 1099 mendon road in cumberland what are you doing on this tuesday afternoon it's a nice day a little bit of partly cloudy, but still delightful weather. Pop it and see Marie at It's My Health. Vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products like Isae, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. Over 250 bulk herbs, teas, spices purchased by the ounce, plus box herbs and teas, hemp and CBD products, natural skin care. It's My Health. Diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Pop in. Are you on... Uh, Menden Road right now, pop in and see the Queen of Health. It's Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Now, I do want to um, follow. There's um, some testimony with the January 6th committee that I, I recognize that people are not paying a lot of attention. But I do notice that Fox News is following this particular witness so i'm i'm curious about that um so certainly might be something there um i might uh i want to just see if we could huh so this is someone that's testifying right now in front of the committee. Let me hear a little bit of this. Can we go to this? Yeah. Okay. Do not share those concerns, or at least do not act on those concerns. Do not act on those concerns would be accurate. Uh, other people raise them to him, like in this exchange, he mentioned that the tornado pulled him aside. That's correct. Ms. Hutchinson, we're going to show now an exchange of text between you and Deputy Chief of Staff Ornato. Um, and these text messages uh, were uh, exchanged while you were at the ellipse. Um, in one text, uh, you write, but the crowd looks good from this vantage point as long as we get the shot. He was effing furious. And the text messages also stress that President Trump kept mentioning the OTR, an off-the-record movement. We're going to come back and ask you about that in a minute. But could you tell us, first of all, who it is in the text who was furious? The he in that text that I was referring to was the president. And uh, why was he furious, Ms. Hutchinson? He was furious because he wanted the arena that we had on the ellipse to be maxed out at capacity for uh, all attendees. The advance team had relayed to him that the mags were free-flowing Everybody who wanted to come in had already come in, but he still was angry about the extra space and wanted more people to come in. And did you go to the rally in the presidential motorcade? I, I was there, yes, in the motorcade. And were you backstage uh, with the president and other members of his staff and family? I was. 
And you told us, Ms. Hutchinson, about particular comments that you heard while you were in the tent area. When we were in the offstage announced area tent behind the stage, he was very concerned about the shot, meaning the photograph that you would get because the rally space wasn't full. Um, one of the reasons, which I previously stated, was because he wanted it to be full and for people to not feel excluded because they'd come forward to watch him at the rally. Um, and he felt the mags were at fault for not letting everybody in. But another leading reason, and likely the primary reason, is because he wanted it full and he was angry that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons. What procedures were esteemed as weapons and our, our weapons. <laughs> But when we were in the offstage announced tent, I was part of a conversation. I was, in the, I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing mags away. Just to be clear, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that the president wanted to take the mags away and said that the armed individuals were not there to hurt him? Right. That's a fair assessment. Yes. The issue wasn't with the amount of space available in the official rally area uh, only, but instead... All right, I can't listen to that. I, mean, I apologize, folks. I'm just not. Liz Cheney, she's going to do her thing. We're going to find out where that's going to work out. I don't think it's we're going to work out in our favor. Right now, it's 135. It's Tuesday afternoon. What's the temperature? Temperature right now is a very enjoyable 77 degrees. And you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Looking ahead to the weekend. Hmm. Looks like a rainy weekend ahead. Saturday and Sunday could be rain for the 4th, July 4th. We shall see about that. This portion of the program, folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Yankee Tree. Folks, it's Yankee Tree. Yankee Tree is for you and for me. Call them the tree trimming experts in Lincoln. Call Yankee Tree Service today for a free quote. And remember, they do it all. 401-439-6028. Let me ask you a question. At 136. Let me ask you a question at 136 on this Tuesday. Do you need some of your trees trimmed? Call Yankee Tree. Maybe you have dangerous branches. See, now is the time to book them, get it done. And then, you know, if a storm hits in the fall during hurricane season, you don't have to worry about it. Yankee Tree Service, 401-439-6028. The tree trimming experts, fully insured tree removal company, and they have a licensed arborist. Yankee Tree, tree removal, stump grinding, tree pruning, emergency service. They even have the bucket truck service at Yankee Tree. Now, I want to move to, um, by the way, you hear me mention, what time is it? The local time is one thirty-seven. You hear me mention quite a bit about different social media platforms that I'm on. And one of the ones that I think people would like 
is in fact, um, for those that, if you have a sense of humor, I think you would like some of the stuff that we do um, with our our TikTok channel. So I think you would you would definitely um, like that. And I want to just play because I recognize not everyone's on on TikTok. Certainly, certainly not everybody on TikTok. Quite the opposite. Um, if anything, a lot of people are not. But they're starting to. You know, everything does a, a different. Um, has different uses. So this is the TikTok that we loaded up Thursday night when All You Can Eat Buffet Jay came to confront me as I was broadcasting last Wednesday night and he tried to intimidate me by blasting Adele. This is what it sounds like on TikTok. And there he is getting out of the car. Shuts the door. Glasses come off. You know, that's been viewed 180,000 times. Here's where I have a TikTok of... There are these guys that react, so it's a split screen. It's a big group. How many guys? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve guys, young guys, and they react to various things. You do a duet with them, and this is they're reacting when I had Ladybug by the water, and I pretend I'm going to push Ladybug in the water. Ladybug in the water. Starts again. You see Ladybug. Then all of a sudden my hand comes in. (laughs) And they erupt. Tell you, TikTok is good for humor. This is the promo we have for the um, for our Facebook Live. And then, um, so that's a little bit. Oh, and this is um, the duet with the guys that erupt at when the uh, when the all you can eat buffet Jay is getting out of the car to confront me. There's just the, my last TikTok I'm going to play. Well, here comes all you can eat buffet Jay. Oh. Took him a little bit to get out of the car. He's over 400 strong, 400 pounds. Folks, good afternoon. It is Juan. 
You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I um I feel bad for the the kids. Boy, kids are really getting the short end of the stick these days. The situation regarding the hazing in North Smithfield. Now, I, I don't know what to make of that. Obviously, the only way they find out, this is so embarrassing. This stuff should not go on. But I just don't know. Figure out who was involved with it, and then those kids can't play. I hate this business. The entire team is penalized because of a couple of different individuals. <clears throat> Here's the story. Currently suspended for hazing allegations. Oh. Police, DCYF, and the Attorney General's office have all been notified, and an investigation is ongoing. The night team's Molly Levine being live at the high school tonight with the latest information. Molly? Dan and Patrice, the superintendent sent an email home to parents that they were made aware about the allegations come June 20th. Now, he didn't specify what they were, but said that all football practices, games, and workouts are canceled until further notice. It just isn't right. Open investigations into hazing allegations involving players on the North Smithfield High School football team from the 2021-2022 season. Superintendent Michael St. Jean sending emails home, this one to all parents at the high school calling the allegations serious. And this one to parents of football players saying in part, quote, given the serious nature of the allegations involving players on the football team, we must err on the side of caution in order to protect all of our students. That is why we have made the decision to prohibit football players from participating in athletics until these investigations wow. are finished, unquote. Everybody should treat everybody else yes. properly. Superintendent St. Jean says, quote, we have directed the school district's attorney to begin the process of engaging the services of an outside independent firm to conduct a thorough investigation, the results of which will be made public upon completion, unquote. We reached out to head coach Jeff Pava, who says, quote, I don't have any particulars yet. We have been directed to have anyone with questions contact the superintendent's office, unquote. And we also contacted the chairman of the North Smithfield School Committee, James Lombardi. He says in a statement, quote, I've been made aware of very serious allegations of hazing involving a high school team. I support the superintendent suspending the program activities until a complete investigation is conducted by law enforcement, unquote. North Smithfield Police, DCYF, and the Attorney General's Office are all aware of the incident but couldn't comment tonight. The football team is a co-op with Mount St. Charles. Their president tells us none of their student athletes are involved in the investigation as it allegedly took place when their students were not present. You're in high school. You're not in the Marines. Love and respect for everybody. Yep. And the Attorney General's office. I like that resident. Um, I, I don't know exactly what went down with that. I don't. I just wish they'd, they'd get to who was involved. And then deal with them accordingly. I want to go, folks. This is the uh, January 6th hearing live. So this woman, Cassidy Hutchinson, aide to former President um, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, is testifying. So keep in mind, Meadows was the Chief of Staff. So I want to hear this. Did you have any conversations with Pat Cipollone about his concerns about the president going to the Capitol on January 6th? On January 3rd, Mr. Cipollone had approached me knowing that Mark had raised the prospect of going up to the Capitol on January 6th. Mr. Cipollone and I had a brief private conversation where he said to me, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen. This would be a legally a, a terrible idea for us. We're, we have serious legal concerns if we go up to the Capitol that day. And he then urged me to continue relaying that to Mr. Meadows because it's my understanding that 
Mr. Cipollone thought that Mr. Meadows was indeed pushing this along with the president. Oh. And we understand, Ms. Hutchinson, that you also spoke to Mr. Cipollone on the morning of the 6th as you were about ah. to go to the rally on That's the Cipollone, White House and legal. Mr. Cipollone said something to you like, make sure the movement to the Capitol does not happen. Is that correct? That's correct. I saw Mr. Cipollone right before I walked out onto West Exec that morning, and Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if we make that movement happen. And do you remember which crimes Mr. Cipollone was concerned with? In the days leading up to the 6th, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or defrauding the electoral account. Let's hear uh, about some of those concerns uh, that you mentioned earlier uh, in one of your interviews with us. Having a private conversation with Pat late in the afternoon of the 3rd or 4th, um, that Pat was concerned it would look like we were obstructing justice for obstructing the Electoral College count. And I apologize for probably not being <laughs> very firm my legal terms here. But um, it would look like we were obstructing what was happening on Capitol Hill. And he was also worried that it would look like we were inciting a riot or encouraging a riot to erupt on the Capitol, at the Capitol. In fact, in the days before January 6th and on January 6th itself, President Trump expressed to multiple White House aides that he wanted to go to the Capitol oh. after his speech. Wow. Here's what various White House aides have told the committee about the president's desire to go to the Capitol. Did the president tell you this, that he wanted to speak at the Capitol? Correct, yes. During the meeting in the dining room, did the, the idea of the president um, proceeding or walking to the Capitol on the 6th after his speech come up? Walking to the Capitol? No. No, he doesn't walk. Driving to the Capitol? It came up. Okay, how did it come up and what was discussed? You brought it up. You said, I want to go down to the Capitol. What about him marching to the Capitol on the 6th? No. Um, yes. Tell us about that. Hmm. So... It's kind of a general thing. I mean, to get into the specifics of it, I I was aware of the desire of the president. Yeah, but he didn't. To potentially uh, march to the, uh, or, or accompany the um, rally attendees to the Capitol. When did you first hear about this idea of the president accompanying rally attendees to the Capitol on the 6th? Well, this was at the 6th. This was during the... Um, after he finished his remarks. When the president said that he would be going to the Capitol during his speech on the ellipse, the Secret Service scrambled to find a way for him to go. We know this from witnesses and the Secret Service, also from messages among staff on the President's National Security Council. The NSC staff were monitoring the situation in real time. And you can see how the situation evolved in the following chat log that the committee has obtained. As you can see, NSC staff believed that Mogul, the president, was, quote, going to the Capitol. And, quote, they are finding the best route now. 
From these chats, we also know the staff learned of the attack on the Capitol in real time. When President Trump left the ellipse stage at 1.10, the staff knew that rioters had invaded the inaugural stage and Capitol Police were calling for all available officers to respond. When Republican leader Kevin McCarthy heard the president say he was going to the Capitol, he called you, Ms. Hutchinson. Isn't that right? That's correct. And in this text message, you told Tony Ornato, quote, McCarthy just called me too. And do you guys think you're coming to my office? Tell us about the call that day with Leader McCarthy during the president's speech on the ellipse. I was still in the tent behind the stage, and when you're behind the stage, you can't really hear what's going on in front of you. So when Mr. McCarthy called me with this information, I answered the call, and he sounded rushed, but also frustrated and angry at me. I was confused because I didn't know what the president had just said. Um, he then explained... The president just said he's marching to the Capitol. You told me this whole week you aren't coming up here. Why would you lie to me? I said, I'm, I'm not lying. I, I wasn't lying to you, sir. I, we're not going to the Capitol. And he said, well, he just said it on stage, Cassie. Figure it out. Don't come up here. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll run the traps on this. Not. I'll shoot you a text. I, I can assure you we're not coming up to the Capitol. We've already made that decision. He pressed a little bit more believing me, but I think frustrated that the president had said that. And we ended the phone conversation after that. I called Mr. Renato to reconfirm that we weren't going to the Capitol, and which is also in our text messages. I sent Mr. McCarthy another text telling him the affirmative that we were not going up to the Capitol, and he didn't respond. After that. the Capitol. And we understand, Ms. Hutchinson, that the plans for the president's point to the Capitol um, had included discussions at some point about uh, what the president would do when he came up to the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, let's look at a clip of one of your interviews discussing that issue with the committee. When you were talking about a scheduled movement, did um, anyone say what the president wanted to do when he got here? No. Not that I can specifically remember. I remember, I remember hearing a few different ideas discussed with Mark and Scott Perry, Mark and Rudy Giuliani. I don't know which conversations were elevated to the president. I don't know what he personally wanted to do when he went up to the Capitol that day. Um, you know, I, I know that there were discussions about him having another speech outside of the Capitol before going in. I know that there is a conversation about him going into the House chamber at one point. As we've all just heard in the days leading up to January 6th, on the day of the speech, both before and during and after the rally speech, President Trump was pushing his staff to arrange for him to come up here to the Capitol during the electoral vote count. Let's turn now to what happened in the president's vehicle when the Secret Service told him he would not be going to the Capitol after his speech. Oh. 
to the Capitol. Here is the president's motorcade leaving the ellipse after his speech on January 6th. He's showing the motorcade. Ms. Hutchinson, when you returned to the White House in the motorcade after the president's speech, where did you go? When I returned to the White House, I walked upstairs towards the chief of staff's office, and I noticed Mr. Renato lingering outside of the office. Once we had made eye contact, he quickly waved me to go into his office, which was just across the hall from mine. When I went in, he shut the door, and I noticed Bobby Angle, who is the head of Mr. Trump's security detail, sitting in a chair, just looking somewhat discombobulated and a little lost. Um, and I, I looked at Tony, and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the piece? Oh. He said, no, Tony, I, I just got back. What happened? Tony proceeded to tell me that when the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible oh. and likely to happen. Wow. Bobby had more information. First we've heard of this. So once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol. And when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not. You don't have the assets to do it. It's not secure. We're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm oh. the president. Oh. Take me up to the Capitol now. Wow. Which Bobby responded, Sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. Wow. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Whoa. Oh. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm. Oh. Said, Sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Wow. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. Whoa. Mr. When Mr. Renato had recounted the story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. And was Mr. Angle wow. in the room as Mr. Wow, that's the first we've heard of this. He was. Oh. Did Mr. Angle correct or disagree with any part of the story from Mr. Renato? Mr. Angle did not. Correct or disagree with Oh, wow, the president really wanted to go to the Capitol. Did Mr. Engel or Mr. Ornato ever after that tell you that what Mr. Ornato had just said was untrue? N neither Mr. Ornato nor Mr. Engel told me ever that it was untrue. Hmm. And despite this altercation, this physical altercation, uh, during the ride back to the White House, President Trump still demanded to go to the Capitol. Wow. Here's what Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary at the time, wrote in her personal notes and told the committee about President Trump's desire to go to the Capitol after returning to the White House. When you wrote, Putin wanted to walk to the Capitol, was that based solely on what the president said during his speech or anything that he or anybody else said afterwards? So to the best of my recollection, I believe when we got back to the White House, he said he wanted to physically walk with the marchers. And according to my notes, he then said uh, he'd be fine with just riding the beast. But to the best of my recollection, he wanted to be a part of the march in some fashion. Okay. And just 
For the record, the piece refers to the presidential limousine? Yes. President Trump did not go to the Capitol that day. We understand that he blamed Mark Meadows for that. So prior to leaving the rally site, when he got off the stage and everybody was making the movement back to the motorcade, I had overheard Mr. Meadows say to him then, as I had prior to Mr. Trump taking the stage that morning, um, that he was still working on getting an off-the-record movement to the Capitol. So when Mr. Trump took the stage, he was under the impression by Mr. Meadows that it was still possible. So when he got off the stage, I had relayed to Mr. Meadows that I had another conversation with Tony. The movement was still not possible. Mr. Meadows said, okay. And then as they proceeded to go to the motorcade, um, and Mr. Meadows had reiterated, we're going to work on Mr. Talk to Bobby. Bobby has more information. Mark got into his vehicle, to my understanding. Trump got into the beast. And after we had all arrived back at the White House later in the day, it had been released me by Mark that the president wasn't happy that Bobby didn't pull it off for him and that Mark didn't work hard enough to get the movement on the books. Well, he did him a favor. The education that Ms. Hutchinson described in the presidential vehicle was not the first time that the president had become very angry about issues relating to the election. On December 1, 2020, Attorney General Barr said in an interview that the Department of Justice had not found evidence of widespread election. All right. Well, folks, you get an idea of it, but that's pretty significant. You know, I do want to just interject and good afternoon at 159. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. I'll have to go back. We had Mark Meadows on the show, and there was a story that I had written that when the president got off stage, he, they said, you can't go to the Kaplan. He, he, his reaction was, what are you even talking about? Like, I was just saying that, that he didn't walk anywhere. I'll have to go back and find it. Folks, it's Monday. It's, um, excuse me, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news and then the John Dion program. And then you can always go to our website, dipetro.com. WNRI, Winsocket. W260DC. WNRI.